Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast, where there is no off season. Welcome to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I am your host this week, Dan Myler, and with me again is Matt Price and Ryan McDowell. We've talked a lot about player values, and we're going to get back to that next week, guys. We've we've talked about the past rookie classes and. And the veterans that overperformed and all that stuff. And we thought it's a it's a good time. You know, there's a lot of a lot of leagues that are starting up or a lot of commissioners out there or future commissioners out there thinking about ideas to start leagues. I know there's a lot of auctions going on already and, and drafts happening right now for new leagues. We're gonna spend an episode talking about these league settings. And all the rules that we like, all the things that we like to incorporate, all three of us are commissioners, and we all kind of have our own specialties for sure. Fellas, I'm hoping that we can create some ideas or, or help these people that are creating these leagues uh, come up with something unique. I love unique leagues. I know you do too, Ryan. You're the commissioner of the kitchen sink leagues and the hyperactive leagues and, and so many other leagues as well. Tell me a little bit about what your favorite league type is and and why you like to those unique little kinks in rule books. Yeah, I guess I don't know if it's a, a favorite type of league, but the uh, kitchen sink leagues that I commission that you mentioned have definitely become my favorite just because they feature so many different aspects, rules, settings, things that for the most part were out there and, and they were part of uh, typical leagues, but I just kind of put them all together. And, and I was a little hesitant a few years ago when I started those, if, if any of those rules would contradict or anything like that, but uh, it's worked really well. So uh, of all of the pieces that make up uh, the kitchen sink league and it's an auction league, it includes contracts. It's a super flex league, a Devi league has tight end premium. We play double headers every week. Lots, lots of things like that. But I guess of all of those features, my favorite one is, is just the auction format. So if you ask me what's my favorite type of league, it would be an auction dynasty league. Yeah, and what, what you have incorporated in that and a lot of other commissioners have done as well, it's also my p- favorite part of those KS leagues, and I'm in all five, is that those auctions just last and last and last. We, we do multiple auctions every year. 
Um, it's just a lot of fun. And, and for those of you looking to do auctions or, or that enjoy auctions more than rookie drafts, it's one of the cool rules that are out there rather than having that rookie draft every year uh, award dollar amounts and, and have a rookie auction. That's a lot of fun as well. Matt, what are your favorite types and, and what's your favorite part about being in leagues and commissioning leagues? Yeah, I, I'm at the same brain with you guys. Uh, it has to be an auction format for me as well, especially if I'm joining a new league. I think that having a startup, it, it almost has to be an auction these days. It's the only way that really allows you to build the team the way you want it to be. Uh, give yourself access to every single player on the board. You know, if, if you're picking at 112 in a snake draft, you're not getting Saquon Barkley unless you move a boatload of a startup capital to get up there. So uh, definitely the auction format. Uh, I think we'll get into to more of the specifics uh, here in a little bit, so I don't want to spoiler too much of it, but I'll, I'll just say the auction format. It has to be like the baseline uh, setting for me to, to think about starting or joining a new new league. Yeah, I'm, I'm auction only as well. I think all dynasty owners and, and commissioners at least probably started at the beginning of the of the ladder of fantasy leagues. Most likely you played in, in a yearly league and decided someday it's time to do keepers. And then finally it's, let's try this dynasty thing. And, and I've kind of elevated, I think the next step of that is probably the contract and the salary cap portion. I know uh, you know, myself and, and Jeff Miller have done a few podcasts about salary cap. That's my favorite way to play Dynasty. Um, I think it incorporates everything that, that Dynasty owners do and, and is the perfect blend between Dynasty and, and Redraft and uh, building your team as closely or, or resembling the way a general manager in the NFL would, would build a team. So there's there's lots of options out there for sure. And for these guys that are building leagues, Matt, Let's get into what we like and what we dislike about scoring settings and everything else. Let's start there with the scoring system. I've always been a half PPR guy. I also like the point per first down setting. Are there any scoring system settings that you look for in a league or you try to incorporate in every league that you think makes things fair or or for any other reason? I mean, I like the PPR standard, you know, uh, we say standard meaning non PPR, but really PPR is a standard these days. And uh, I still like that. I know, I know there's been a lot of pushback against PPR lately, but I just think more ways to score points, the more fun the league is. So whether it's PPR, you know, points precarious, I started to gain a little steam in the last couple of seasons. I have two leagues that, that incorporate that. Um, points per first down has been pushed forward a lot by Scott Fish, especially with SFB the last couple of years. And uh, there's some other ones too. I'm in one league where they award uh, seven points for rushing and receiving touchdowns, six for passing, but then there are big bonuses on top of that. So at 100, at 100 yards rushing and receiving, you get five points extra. At 300 yards passing, you get five points. So there's there's lots of fun ways to incorporate it in there. Um, and you know, I, I think you really just have to pick one and go with it. You know, it's nice to be, if you're going to start a new league to be able to run through the scoring settings and see what it does to say the top, you know, 50 to a hundred scoring positions in the league. And, and you try to try to balance those out as much as possible because you really want people to be able to build uh, a successful team 
any way they want to, whether it's with going heavy at quarterback or heavy at running back or tight end, God forbid. Uh, but, you, you know, you're, you're trying to balance out these positions as best you can. But in the end, I think you just play with the settings that you think are the most fun, you know. Uh, and, and, and the league will evolve. The league will catch up to, to what are the most productive positions, no matter what it is. Um, and and it'll, 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 it'll work itself out. And the NFL evolves and changes those scoring systems for us as well. You know, five years ago, if you did a study on what makes the, the best scoring system in fantasy that will allow scoring to be stri- spread out um, completely over all four positions, it would be completely different now because there's different wide receivers in the league. These new coaches that are coming in and using wide receivers and tight ends in different ways has changed things. So I, I think we all look for those scoring systems. And maybe if you do a study today and decide, man, this is the way to go, Five, ten years down the road, the league might be completely different and and how those players score those points might change to the point where you're thinking your your league settings don't necessarily make things as even as they were when you set them up originally. Like you said, Matt, I think the best way to do things is to, to find the scoring system that you enjoy the most and stick with it. Ryan, anything to add? Yeah, I agree with Matt. Most of my leagues are just... PPR across the board. Uh, I do have some that are tight end premium, but I was thinking about this the other day and uh, this time of year, you guys are probably the same, but this time of year, I'm, I'm always at least thinking about starting a new league, um, trying not to follow through, but it's always, ideas are always, <laughs> always bouncing around my head. And I was thinking about this tiered PPR system that I know a lot of leagues use, and it's essentially a half point PPR for running backs a full point for receivers and then one and a half for tight ends. And for years now, and, and of course we know over the past couple of years, the, the running backs are certainly catching up as far as the value and, and the scoring production. But for years we have, have been saying that we need to find a way to balance the value of these receivers and running backs and that it's skewed too far. And everybody was building around wide receivers there for, uh, two or three years at least. So I I was thinking, why don't we just switch that? How about the wide receivers get the half PPR, the running backs get the full point, and the tight ends get one and a half. And, and I did what I always do when I have an idea like that. I, I texted my buddy Scott Fish and asked him what he thought, and I really thought I'd come up with – something innovative here. And of course, Scott already does this in some of his leagues. <laughs> he had, he had come up with that change uh, a, a couple years ago. So I, I think I don't have any leagues like that, but I think that would be maybe a good way to, to attack things and to balance out those positions. Yeah. I've, I've played with tiered settings as well. And, and I like those, those leagues. Uh, I certainly like those scoring setups and I've, I've also played with the point per first down settings and, and tiering those compared to rushing and, and receiving and, and mixing that with the point per reception tiers that you just talked about there, Ryan. And what I came up with after hours and hours and hours of doing it is that the settings in, 20, in the 2018 stats compared to the 2014 stats are skewed so differently that in 2014, the wide receivers look so good. And in 2018, the running backs look so good. And I was trying to even that out. So going back to what I said a little bit earlier, you know, the league changes and these coaches, especially these young guys that are 
innovative and, and coming up with new ways to use different position groups are are changing the game for us and that's going to continue to change so as dynasty owners and commissioners i think it's our responsibility to be fluid with that and be willing to change as we go along and and adjust and and i guess that's what we're all doing when we we all sit staring at the ceiling at night thinking about new ways to to (laughs) score our fantasy leagues the one scoring setting that i kind of think is and I know we've all used this in our leagues. I remember, Ryan, it's, it's this way in Kitchen Sink. But the tight end premium to one and a half points, I really don't think it adds a whole lot to that position. You know, uh, It's more of like a perceived value. People see that 1.5 and they're like, okay, well, let me just bump up the value of all these guys. But in reality, when they score, it doesn't really make you want to start an extra tight end or anything. So like in Red List 1, I have tight end, tight end receptions as, as extra points, two points per reception there. Uh, and in this SFB, uh, it was like an extra point per first down for the tight ends. And Red List 2, I have actually required two tight ends starting, which is a whole other thing. Honestly, I kind of feel like requiring multiple tight end starting positions is the is the only true way to like kind of put a premium on that position and make them actually like be you know, the trade value kind of bump up to to the rest of the positions there. So that's the one that's the one thing that that bugs me about that tight end premium scoring. Yeah, and Ryan and I both play in red list too, and we can tell you that it did put a premium on the tight end position, adding that extra <laughs> starting position, and it's certainly something for for these dynasty owners and and future commissioners to chew on. Let's talk a little bit about ideal league size. This is something that has changed a lot here recently and, and a lot of owners will say well it used to always be 10 team leagues and then it kind of jumped up to 12 team leagues and now it's almost becoming normal for leagues like kitchen Cinco, ryan where you have 48 teams in a league and there's multiple copies of players and and i really have gotten into that a lot over the last couple of years where it's fun to have multiple conferences, multiple uh, divisions, and, and multiple copies of these players. And, you know, it's it's just added to the fun. It's added to the complexities of a championship roster, a championship matchup when you both have Travis Kelsey and Aaron Rodgers going. And uh, it just overall adds to the fun to me. Yeah, so when I made the Kitchen Sink Leagues, well, actually, I guess I did this with the hyperactive leagues, which are now going into their 14th year, I think. And what I did is basically made those two leagues in one. So two conferences, uh, 12, team, 12 teams in each, and, and they're completely separate, meaning they can't trade with each other. It's two separate player pools. And and then a few years later, I, I carried that forward with the kitchen sink league. So I, I say I kind of, almost got there but uh, I, I don't know who we can really credit for the uh, the first league with multiple copies where uh, you can trade across the league and if I can't if I can't trade for you know for Mike Evans from one owner I can just go to the next owner and try to trade for Mike Evans from from that person my leagues have not been and and still are not set up like that but you're right, Dan. It it adds so much to um, so much fun and so much strategy to the league. I know. Again, Matt, your your red list league is like that, and some of Scott's leagues are like that. So it definitely adds a, a new wrinkle and a lot of strategy. 
Yeah, I, I love I love the multi copy. I think it's a, a total game changer, both in terms of doing a startup because you never know which of the copies are going to go for for more money. You know, should I should I get on this first one or should I wait for the last one? Should I get one of these guys in the middle? And then, like you said, Ryan, it just opens up so many more trade partners because. In a, in a regular 12-team league, if somebody has Saquon Barkley, you're probably not getting him. But if four people have Saquon Barkley and one of the team is really bad and maybe they need still to not diversify their assets, <laughs> you're probably still not getting him. But you probably have a better shot if uh, if there's multiple copies of that player. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually don't consider my leagues multiple copy leagues. But, Dan, kind of kind of back to the point of your question, the multiple copy option really has opened uh, opened up the league size to really to whatever you want it to be almost yeah, totally. I, I mean i i saw one league with um eight copies of players so i guess that's 96 teams in one league and and eight copies of every single player um that's that's pretty extreme i love it um <laughs> I, I haven't tried it though, so maybe maybe that's easy to say for an outsider. Yeah, that the the problem with that is you got to find ninety six, ninety five other guys that are are ready to jump in and 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 take over. And the idea of you know like us as dynasty owners, we think well, if one guy drops out of a league, that's not so bad. But if if you have eight copies <laughs> yeah. and and eight, you know, then you're replacing eight guys, even if one drops out of every conference. So it's. Uh, it's a lot more difficult and also like setting up those auction values of those pick because what is the 1.96 worth for the champion you know <laughs> like <Yikes. laughs> that's just that whole other part is, is distributing those auction values uh, across that and and nobody wants the 1.96 pick nobody wants the 112 you know so 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 we you know we all play in these crazy leagues and they're fun but uh, most people are still playing in 12 or 10 or 12 or 14 team leagues so if we kind of take it back to that part of the question um is it is a 12 team league still ideal for you guys in general or do you prefer uh, i think it's probably safe to assume you, you you don't prefer an eight or a 10 team league but would you like to go up to 14 or 16 yeah i've i've played in 14s and i actually prefer that now and i think it's more more than anything else it's the challenge it's the it's how much it differentiates the the really great owner and the average owner and the and the poor owner because you're not looking at standard ESPN rankings every week to set a starting lineup you have to dig a lot deeper and when you find a guy like Philip Lindsay who comes out of nowhere that guy was already on a roster somebody had to be digging deep and looking for that undrafted free agent that could potentially get a role down the road. So especially when 14 man or 14 team leagues have large rosters, I think that's when you really start to differentiate between the the levels of of quality owners. Yeah, I like the 14 team. I think that's really the sweet spot. 12 is 12 is is nice and comfortable. I wouldn't go any lower than 12. 14 is nice too because of the scheduling. It just works out so nice. If it's just a regular straight league, then you play every team once and then then you're in the playoffs. So, uh 14 team leagues are great. And I I want to be in more of those for sure. I like how you meant how you said that, Matt, that 12 teams are comfortable. If you're a comfortable owner out there that's successful and making the playoffs in all your leagues every year, jump up to 14, take on a couple of those teams, 
and you'll you'll find a little bit of a challenge there and i think that's what most of us anyway look for in our in our fantasy leagues uh let's talk a little bit about roster size guys um there's still lots of leagues out there with 16 or 18 man rosters in dynasty leagues which is which sounds crazy to us uh guys that typically play in in minimum of 25 man rosters I think there's probably a sweet spot here. There's dynasty owners out there, Matt, that like to have free agents available, at least to some degree, during the season. What's the what's the sweet spot for you? What what's the ideal amount of roster spots on in your leagues when it comes to a dynasty league? I, I really like the twenty four to, to twenty eight range personally. Uh, you know, there's there's still enough at the especially at the lower end of that. There's still enough players on the waiver wire to have an active waiver each week. But I really think it, the, your rosters or your roster size should be determined what you want uh, want out of the league. Really, like if you want a, a really active waiver wire, then 20 is good. Like all the capitalist pig leagues are 20, and it makes it really tough each week when you're trying to pick up these either those these waiver wire f- flavors of the week or these prospects. It makes it really tough to stash guys. Uh, that you can't put on, say, a taxi squad or injured reserve or something because it forces you to make decisions about players at the end of your bench. But if you're someone who wants to encourage lots of trading in your league, then if you make them large so that there's not a ton of players out on the waiver wire, then and you really have to have to work on your trading part of your game to, to acquire any new players. So it just kind of depends on what you want. But for me, I kind of like right in the middle, that 24 to 28. I like 30 and, and, and higher too. But again, it just changes the way you play it. And it kind of depends on what you want to do within that league. And you bring up a really interesting point there that it's really up to the commissioner and what kind of league you really want. And, and you mentioned there, if you, if you want a lot big active trading market, then expand those rosters and and if you want to have players available to to owners that they can just pick up and put in their starting lineups the next week you shrink it down just a little bit i you know i haven't played in a 20-man roster limit in in a while now and you know typically 24 is about the minimum that i see anymore and especially in a 12-team league it seems like 24 offers a happy medium there's still the real out there free agents that you wouldn't expect uh, to be on any rosters available to those on, on those teams. I really think that if you have a 20 man roster and 12 teams, that leaves a lot of free agents out there. It's it's a lot of fun then to allow a really large fab budget to to make that bidding exciting every week because there's a lot of good players that kind of emerge out of nowhere ryan what are your thoughts on the topic i mean to me i want generally three times starting lineup so if you're talking you know nine or ten players obviously we're we're talking about higher uh, roster sizes 27 to 30 certainly no issue with 24 25 as well 20 for me, I mean, personally, is is just not enough, honestly. I, I think those leagues are super flex leagues as well. Uh, they are. In, They're in tough. A, yeah, in a super flex league, I want even more roster spots. So uh, because you're talking about essentially 20 more players that are worth a roster spot in general in a super flex league that are, that are not going to be worth a spot in a, in a one-quarterback league. So – yeah, I mean Scott's definitely set up a challenge there, uh, and and the waiver. I'm sure the weekly uh, blind bidding is 
is just a feast. But I think in some ways that also penalizes uh, owners who are savvy and are trying to pick up and stash players. You mentioned how that it was difficult to do that. Um, so that uh, that's kind of the issue I would have with it. But um, like Scott and I always say, if if you and your league like it, then then it works for you. The the one other thing the one other thing that it does that it allows you to do is to kind of make the the it's different for pigs leagues because these are bankroll leagues where the budgets roll over to every single thing it's it's everything comes out of one bucket but if we're talking about a regular say whatever 12 team dynasty league with 20 roster spots then if you make your your fab budget tradable then it just adds another thing valuable to the league because if there's players on the waiver wire that are actually going to be useful then that money is you know and in the deeper leagues fab budget is whatever it's free sure you can trade it but it's a thousand fab budget for what a third round pick maybe you know so uh in these smaller smaller uh roster spot leagues where the fab doesn't roll over it kind of makes that another valuable tradable asset yeah and you guys just keep peeling back the onion and and the layers of what's going on here there's so many things we could talk about such as making thing everything tradable and and matt you mentioned taxi squads that's that's i don't know a relatively new thing in the last 10 years that's become popular to to even if you're not a devi league or a developmental league bringing in college players onto rosters you can you can put that rookie on that third round fourth round fifth round pick it uh, in a rookie draft onto that taxi squad to stash them. So I think what, I think what we've kind of uncovered here maybe is that a commissioner building a rule book like this, the first decision you have to make is, is what you want your owners to go through and what you want your league to, to look like from an owner's eyes. Do you want to have, have a league that's all about stashing players in a, in a Debbie type sense? Or are you looking for, for a week-to-week rollover on rosters that will encourage a lot of bidding in free agency. And I, I think there's value in both of those. And that's why we, we get to play in multiple leagues. You, you can have all these leagues. I, I like playing in those types of leagues because in kitchen sink, it's not that way. We have a lot of, a lot of roster space and taxi squad and all that. You can stash a lot of players to have that alternative league that does the opposite is a lot of fun. Let's talk a little bit before we get to some of the creative rules that we really enjoy. Let's talk about uh, the postseason. I want to know, guys, because it was a hot topic. It is every year. How do we choose our playoff teams? Is there a better way than what is currently used, whether it be on MFL or on Yahoo or, or on NFL.com or wherever your league may be hosted? How many teams make it? What percentage of the teams are in your postseason? How do we determine who gets in? And are there any creative ways that we can crown a champion in our league? I know we've talked about this in the past. It's something that commissioners should be thinking about if you're building a league. Ryan, what are your ways to kind of handle postseason, how we get in, and how we crown a champ? So, um, again, I've got two sets of leagues primarily that I commission the, the hyperactive and the kitchen sink leagues. I would say the hyperactive leagues are kind of more traditional uh, top five, get in according to standings, win loss record. And then the, the sixth spot is based on total points. So the, the highest scoring team of the remaining, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely like that system. If anything, I think I might add one more points spot. So potentially uh top four in standings and then two point spots is uh, if I was 
starting a similar league today. I think that's the way I would go with that. And then in kitchen sink, it's we just use the top six, but it's based on those victory points. I almost forgot what it was called. So victory points, you're essentially getting points every week for a win. You're getting points based on how many points you score in comparison to other teams. Um, so you're, you're just building up victory points, which I think does a pretty good job of weeding out the best teams. Yeah, and the, the, the goal is to get the best teams in the into the postseason i know in my leagues i've taken that to the next level you mentioned how the last spot is goes by scoring i actually give my two buys in in a 12 team league the the top seed goes to the highest standings with scoring is the tiebreaker the second seed goes to the next highest scoring team so there's a very good chance that the top two seeds will be the top two scoring seed teams the third and fourth seed go by standings the fifth and sixth seed then go by scoring so most likely every single year you'll get the top six scoring teams and the top scoring team is guaranteed a buy in the postseason and it actually came worked out really well uh not this past year but a year ago when the top scoring team constantly was second or third uh in scoring every week ended up with a poor record or, or an average record, would have had the sixth seed, ended up with the second seed, had a bad week in week 13, or excuse me, week 14, would have gotten beat but got a bye and ended up winning the league. So, you know, I, I guess there's stories each way. I tend to like to, to reward that scoring spot for sure and certainly like to incorporate that into buys. Matt? Yeah, I have the same way. I think the, a minimum of one playoff spot based on scoring is, is, is an absolute requirement requirement. I think there's always a, a great team that suffers a bad schedule. They're always second highest scorer of the week. Like you said, uh, I have, I have two points based entries on, on, on all of my league and Scott and the Capitals big league takes it another step. The, the, there's, there's three seeds based on scoring three seeds based on record for each division. So I think that's absolutely requirement. And then as you, as you move through the, the playoffs, I think there's interesting ways to structure it, whether you want to reseed each round with the top seed, always playing the low seed, um, another league that I'm in, uh, a John Bosch special, the Power Hungry League, uh, he actually has the, the top remaining seeds call out their playoff matchup. So in the first week when there are two teams on bye, you know, it's the third and the fourth seed. They get to decide who they're, which, which team they're going to play. So you can call out the team that you want to play, and then you lose, and then they, there's lots of trash talk and, and bragging that, that goes on with that. And then in, the, in week 15, or sorry, in week, yeah, in week 15, the second week of the playoffs, the top seeds get to call out. Uh, which which players like so there's all kinds of fun ways to do it um, I, I like that I, I like uh, how I do it in red list and also in capitalist pigs does it for the first couple of rounds of the playoffs it's not just head-to-head matchups you know say they're in, in, in the first round there are six teams there and the top three scoring teams uh, advance so it cuts down a little bit of the luck factor and, and that's kind of set up there's not any bye week so there's a lot of creative ways to do it rather than just the standard head-to-head however I do think once you get down to the Super Bowl then you kind of want that head-to-head matchup, I think, right? You kind of want at least one or one or two other teams playing it, uh, playing each other. You kind of have that the luck-based factor that that 
can make a, a, a worse team win it. But I think that's part of the part of the equation, right? That's part of the reason why we like doing this so much is is that anyone can really win. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a there's a bunch of ways you can set up your postseason like that. Yeah, I like the head-to-head matchup in the title game as well. Ryan, in your kitchen sink leagues, you have a unique rule that that allows those buy teams to carry forward their Week 13 score when they're inactive to Week 14, which gives those top seeds, those big names, those guys that carried it all year long uh, an opportunity to get by maybe one bad week. So for instance, if in week 13 you score 198 points, but in week 14 where you'd regularly have a matchup, you score 102 because you have a couple injuries and a couple guys that, that just don't perform, you carry over that 198 point score to week 14 in that matchup. And, and of course you're playing the all plays as well. I think that's a unique way to uh, help out those teams or give an advantage to the teams that dominated all year. Yeah, I, I certainly think it's a big advantage to those teams, but honestly, I think those teams have earned a big advantage and it kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier when you're, when you're a commissioner and you're setting up your league, you're, you're writing a rules uh, document or, or what have you, you're kind of determining what you want out of your league. And with kitchen sink, uh, every one of those leagues has 24 owners. At least one of them has 48. I kind of want the cream to rise to the top. And I want the, the teams that are consistently best uh, from, from week one on to be rewarded. And, and that helps those teams. Yeah, so there's lots of ways to do the postseason and and reward those teams that were so good throughout the regular season, which I am fully in favor of as well. I I think, you know, I think for sure I I like a championship matchup that's head-to-head, winner-takes-all, and decides your your champ every year, though. Uh, That's for sure. Let's go on to some creative stuff that whether we've incorporated it now or are thinking about it for future leagues, you know, there there's a lot of things that I call creative rules that have come up over the last 10 or 15 years, I guess. Everything from Superflex to the tight end premium scoring that we talked about earlier. Uh, point per carry is a popular thing that, that uh, commissioners are incorporating now. Point per first down which I talked about earlier as well. Ryan, I, I know a lot of people, myself included, uh, give you the credit for for starting the 1.13 movement that awards the 13th pick in the first round to the Toilet Bowl champion. I think those are all pretty mainstream now. A lot of, a lot of dynasty owners, especially those that are probably listening to this program and subscribe to DLF, they know about those things. Those are things that they're they're playing in leagues that incorporate all of those rules. Matt, we'll start with you. What are some of the other rules or ideas or things that you incorporate into leagues or are think about incorporating into leagues that you love the most and are worth talking about here as we talk about these creative rules? Uh, when I'm setting up my leagues now, I really like to include progressive pots, meaning that you, you can't win them in one year, basically. So you can do things like back-to-back champions. 
you take a percentage of the, the the prize pool every year and you set it aside. And the first team that wins the bat wins the championship in back to back years, they get something. Um, I've taken it a step farther in, in uh, the red list leagues where I actually have rivalries. Um, and this is a this is something I also borrowed from Capitalist Pig, so it's not a completely original idea. But these leagues are, are like the Red List One, for example. There's a carnivore and there's an herbivore division. So the rivalries are in the other division. You only play them during these rivalry weeks. So there's a progressive pot where you have to beat the entire other division to to acquire this prize and it takes it so it'll take a minimum of six years to get it so by that time the prize pool will be be at least three hundred dollars if you can do it in that six years which is going to be tough because you'd have to go undefeated in these rivalry games every single year to do it so uh the progressives i think are really fun to give people a chance to build towards another prize that 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 is separate from the just winning the league there are still ways to make money um and then and then the one i'll I'll throw out there of course uh, is a charity component i put them in all of my leagues now uh with red list it goes to wildlife conservation with other leagues, it all goes to fantasy cares. So it's really easy to take out even just a single entry fee and be able to take that and allow the winner to be able to use that money to 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 give to a, a cause to support some good out there. Yeah, and uh, you know, I do the back to back fund in my leagues. I really think that's that's really the goal of our league. We call ourselves a dynasty league, and to build a true dynasty, you have to at least go back to back. So I set money aside for the guy who who finally wins the back to back. And I encourage to that note a little bit, or at least on the same level, is I encourage those rivalries, and I really like what you do with your rivalries, Matt. Um, you know, in some of my leagues, or at least in one of them, we have guys that call the call each other rivalries, and they call each other out, and they have they have side bets on their matchups, and who who finishes higher, and and all those things. So um, those are a lot of fun rules for sure. I know one thing that I really uh, enjoy in my salary cap leagues is a holdout rule. And of course, in salary cap leagues, everybody has a contract. So in any contract league, this could be, and we have random drawings of the best players every year that decides who's the holdout. And as we all know, in the NFL, we had a holdout this year, Le'Veon Bell, who ended up lasting all year long. Well, in one of my leagues, I had Tyreek Hill as a, as a incredibly cheap uh, value. It's a league called Dead Presidents. He was just 3% of my cap, and he was drawn as our holdout. And I had to go to a random dice roll every week and, and try to roll a specific number. Uh, never never rolled it, and he held out the entire season. I ended up taking third place. <laughs> it might have been a championship-type roster uh, had I had Tyreek. and So I, I'm kind of feeling the pain that the Roonies had if we only had had our guy uh, in the backfield, maybe maybe we would have been a little better. So I, I did a holdout rule. I know another rule I, I always played with is these home field advantage rules. And this goes back to what Ryan said earlier with the with giving an advantage to those teams that dominate all year long. One idea that I've had and have incorporated into leagues is where a higher seed starts with a lead entering a matchup. So if a team averages 110 points and they're they're taking on a team that averaged 100 points. They start with a 10-point 10, 10 league. That's a that's a home field advantage. Another league that I did incorporated a rule where the higher seed chose the flex position every year. So if you were the one seed and you're taking on the sixth seed in round two of the postseason and you notice that you're four deep at running back and the other guy's only two deep, you say, well, you have to start a running back at your flex this week. So we talked a little bit about where the high high seed picks their opponents in week 14 and 15 as well. There's all kinds of fun rules 
that are unique and add a little bit of difference to the standard fantasy league or the standard even dynasty league now ryan i know you have a lot of unique rules in in kitchen sink and in your other leagues as well what are your favorites uh, you talked about the, the 113 pick, which um, for those of you who might not know, that's that just refers to the toilet bowl, the teams that don't make the playoffs, gives them something to play for. The winner of, uh, of that toilet bowl playoff would win essentially an, an extra first round pick. We call it a supplemental pick. So in a 12-team league, it would be the 113 um, obviously between the first round and the second round. So that's that's one of my favorites that has worked really well. Uh, also, the second chance rule has been a good one, I think. Uh, the, the idea behind that is after each season, every team will have the chance to give up their uh, give up all of their assets, their their players as well as their draft picks, kind of put them back into the uh, into the player pool and get a chance to draft again, hence the, the second chance name. So uh, for that to work, you need at least two people to make that choice or you need a uh, an orphan team that would work as well. So the, all any any new owner is automatically put into that second chance draft or second chance auction as well. Um, so I feel like in the past few years I've had uh, at least a few owners who maybe would have left the league, uh, and and this rule has kept them in the league. That just the chance to build their team again. You know uh, what? Maybe make up. Sorry to interrupt, Ryan, but another sure. thing it does, and I'm in those kitchen sink leagues, and and it actually I I built a team, and that has contracts as well. That it seemed like all my contracts were stacked, and I had had them all ending at the end of this year, and it created strategies as well, where an owner can say, "Well, I'm going to take on a bunch of one-year contracts this year that I know are going to end because I know I have that second chance to jump into. I'll put all the players back in. I'll start from scratch next year, and I'll just go for it this year, and then do a rebuild." So on top of what it does for keeping owners and 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 the unique rule that it creates it also creates an opportunity for owners to become creative with their strategy yeah i think it, it depending on your team uh, team build team makeup it gives more value to some of those aging veterans that uh, some owners might be desperate to get rid of in in some situations but if you know you've got that that second chance option kind of in your back pocket, then, uh, then you can just roll with them. Uh, and then I, I wish I could claim this one, but just, just a Devi league. We've kind of hinted at it, uh, in other parts of the show, but uh, involving those college players, uh, into your league, rather, you know, most likely it's putting them on the taxi squad, but I've seen some leagues that are a combination kind of two leagues in one an NFL dynasty league and the college dynasty league where, uh, the players move up to your NFL roster once they get to the get to the NFL, which is a, a, a very cool feature as well. Dan, I want to hear more about this holdout rule. So just just explain how it works. So every does every team have a player that on their roster that can quote unquote hold out each week, and you have to roll the dice to hit some number to get them to be able to play. Well, 
it, it's really a, a drawing at the beginning of the year that includes what I call my our, our all-pro or our all-dead presidents team. So the top, if, if you built a starting lineup of the top scorers in the league, including the, the starting quarterback and the super flex and the two running backs, three wide receivers, tight end, three flexes, you build that entire roster, you put all those names in a drawing and draw two names. Now, any player that might have signed a new contract that offseason or had been a free agent is not eligible to hold out. And if their name gets drawn, it's just not a holdout. But if it's a player that had a big year that has a small contract, he's holding out for a new contract equal to the highest paid salary in the league. So Hill was the drawing. Uh, I dropped my head the second it happened and said, oh no. (laughs) And it was the first time it had happened in three years, the the three years of the league. And, you know, I'm drawing a blank on what I needed to, to, uh, roll. I cannot remember for snake eyes for some reason. It wasn't snake eyes. I think it was a 10. I needed to roll a 10 because the odds of rolling a 10 is something like 13% or something like that. So, one in every in 13 weeks you should get him back if you hit those odds one in every 13 chance so uh i never hit a 10 i must have rolled a six about 17 times in 17 weeks it was maddening and i just never got him back so oh so um, he held out for the entire he held year. out for the entire so if you had hit there's that other rules incorporated with it after week 10 you can decide not to roll and that contract year just flips over to the next year it's like you win the holdout, the player finally decides, all right, next year I guess I got to come back or else I won't make any money. So he'll be back next year, but I have a feeling he's not going to help me nearly as much because that roster uh, isn't going to look as good next year as it did last year. So there's a lot of unique rules. And, you know, a lot of unique rules that I've come up with over the years that I've never really been able to incorporate into leagues. I have this idea about a conference league. So you'd get, instead of having a dozen uh owners in a league how about getting seven matt you me ryan and four of our buddies all start a league together and you have two teams in the league there's an afc side and an nfc side so you own a team on the afc side matt and a team on the nfc side you can only have afc players on the afc team you can only have nfc players on the nfc team and when a player switches teams in an offseason or even in-season trade, he just flops over to your other team. That'd be a lot of fun. I think it would be it would be great. You could meet yourself in the championship game, in the Super Bowl, <laughs> and that would end the league. So that was a unique idea. I also had an idea about a league where you would have four copies of every player. It'd be it'd be um a forty-eight team league, and every player in the league would would so For example, Devontae Adams, he would have a four-year copy, a three-year copy, a two-year copy, and a one-year copy of his player, and they'd be dispersed around the 48 teams. There'd be no way to re-sign or or gain a player back. Uh, He'd go into the auction every year. So then every year, every single player in the NFL would be available in a what would amount to be a startup auction. So there, there's lots of unique ideas. I'm sure you guys have some too, and if you want to add them, feel free to. Um, but I, geez, we don't have enough time to run all these leagues, right? I'll just, I'll just highlight one other one, and that's the the power hungry one John Bosch runs again. And there's another one uh, that Dwight Peebles 
from DHH runs. It's another superpower league. But basically in- included in the startup draft were the superpowers that do things like uh, whether it's protect your own players from other powers being used against you that reduces your scoring each week. Or there's one called Resurrection, where if a player has not uh, been in an active roster for five straight weeks, he can be uh, have, have resurrection, resurrection played on them, and you can actually steal that player off of another team's roster. So... Uh, yeah, it's it's mind blowing, man. And this year, uh, our buddy Waz, like he bought, he he was traded for a bunch of powers and used them all season long. It was a lot of fun to watch. I I have not really been able to acquire any yet because they've all gone for super high prices. And my reasoning was go ahead and and uh, you know use my capital to get good players. But it's been fun to watch these guys using powers back and forth. So uh, use your mind, use your creativity, and build these fun leagues. That And I guarantee you people will want to join them. Nerds like us will want to join and try to tackle some other new kind of rule set. I just spoke to a fellow owner in one league that talked about a league that is a fantasy football, baseball, and basketball league at the same time where you can trade across leagues. I also had an idea about a league where you would play a yearly league. So a regular standard yearly league that you have with all your buddies every single year and redraft every year, have a dynasty league at the same time, same owners, same scoring system, and then a daily league. And all the points combine into one pool and you win. So that, that kind of chooses who's the best at all three formats. There's so many different ways to build a fantasy league. I think that's what we've come to a conclusion on with this episode. And, and so many ways to, to build a, a, a dynasty league. And lots of, lots of fun ways to make it enjoyable for, for all the guys in it. For Matt and Ryan, I'm Dan. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. We'll be back next week.